Welcome to the New Beginnings Fellowship Podcast. Wherever you're listening, we hope you're encouraged by today's message. It's ironic as pastor's appreciation. So many times that the enemy tries to convince me that I'm not appreciated, that the work that I'm doing is opposite um, of advancing the kingdom of God, um, that I'm causing more harm than than, 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 um, than good, that I'm shining, that, that, that I'm, I'm dimming the light rather than expanding it. The enemy tells me that all of the time. Y'all, it, it is a perpetual drip from the enemy. It doesn't stop. And sometimes I believe him. Sometimes I do. Um, that's why it's so beautiful that you got days like this, it's past appreciation. And I'm like, ah, all right. God, I see you there. Forgive me for my sin. Forgive me for my forgetting how awesome you are and, and the privilege I get to serve with my family. Um, alongside of that, y'all, I wouldn't be here if it weren't for a bunch of folks that I got to get a shout out to specifically. Um, for one, Coton Madney is the main reason why I even considered coming back to MBF. He just put something right in my, in, in, in my thought process that, uh, that developed for my to come here. Um, so give a huge shout out, Coach Madney, alongside of that, I would not be here whatsoever if it weren't for Amber Cox, Amber Harmon, Matt Harmon, Jeremy Engel, um, uh, uh, Ryan Knight, Susie Smith, Marie Degum Harris. I would not be here if it wasn't for them. So if y'all can do me a favor and give a standing ovation to those men and women, I would greatly appreciate that. Please. Love those jokers. And I'm looking around, and none of them are in here, so they have fill it. All right, have a seat. So thank y'all. And, and last but certainly not least, I think it's kind of ironic. It's kind of sad that we're celebrating Pastor Appreciation Month when I'm actually giving my one month's notice as being a pastor. I'm just joking. I'm joking. All right. Ha ha. Go Chiefs, huh? Suckers. Okay. So if y'all don't have, if you have your Bible. Yeah, you jerks. If you have your Bibles, please go with me with a If you, incredible men and women of the Lord, can take out your very used Bibles and turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 4, we're going to be diving in um, to Paul's letter. For those who don't know me, what's cracking? My name is Richard. I'm the pastor here at New Beginnings Fellowship, where we radically love, serve, and encourage. Thank y'all so much for letting me know how much you appreciate me but it doesn't compare to how much I appreciate y'all. I love y'all like crazy, all right? So we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 through 5, and it reads, This is how one should regard us, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any, any human court. In fact, I don't even judge myself, for I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. 
huge. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. Y'all, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for allowing us to be here. God, I pray that you will break my heart, that you will break our hearts for the things that break your hearts, Father. We thank you and we love you, God. We pray that we will be the church that radically loves, serves, and encourages God. I pray that you increase our influence, not to herald the goodness of man, but to herald the goodness of God, Father. I pray that we are so intimate with you, Father. There's no choice but for us just to declare your excellencies to the entire world, that we'll be so tethered to you, Father, that we can't help but just to tell everybody how awesome you are. And that is the influence that we're asking you to increase, Father. Increase our favor with man, God, that we can tell them about your goodness. Send us to every institution, every corner of the world, every dark area. God, we pray that we would just saturate the entire world. Forgive us, God, for our sins. Show us your word. Illuminate the dark areas in our heart. Father, we thank you and we love you and we appreciate you. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said amen, amen, amen. Y'all, so uh, is that an eagle's hat that I see? Is that an eagle's hat? Okay, no, I didn't. Wait, is that an eagle's hat, my man? Oh, okay, equally gross. I'm sorry, we go against the Eagles today. And so, uh, all right, so, sorry, forgive me, I got football in my mind. So, y'all check this out. Nearly every year, forgive me, I'm football in my brain. Nearly every year, y'all, Hollister's Elementary School, we, they have an end-of-the-year carnival, and they go all out for their kiddos. It's awesome, y'all. They, and for several years, MBF, we have had the amazing opportunity to partner right alongside of them and serve them during that carnival. And again, y'all, they go all out for these kids. You would go there, and they got water slides. They got field games, snow cones, all kind of food and snacks and, and, and celebrations. It is awesome, and these kids love it. But the highlight of that gum carnival is when New Beginnings Fellowship shows up. And I know that sounds incredibly arrogant, but I don't care. It's the truth. And the reason why it is so much fun when New Beginnings shows up is because it's like these kids, they forget that it's a game. They forget the games. They forget the water slides. They forget the food. And it turns out to an all-out dance party. It's like kids' club. It is awesome whenever we get there. And as much as I would like to take credit for it, I can't do it. There's a, one guy responsible for, for turning this thing out to a party, and that is your pastor, Jeremy, your youth pastor, Jeremy Engel. Now, he's not here right now. I could easily tell you how he, could, how he just dances and, 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 and turns this thing out to a full-out dance party. I could tell you, but it's much easier for me to show you. Y'all check this out. Lord have mercy. <laughs> I hear somebody clapping at that foolishness. 
That further tells me that we need more black people in this church. I said it. <laughs> but we do, though. Now, <laughs> what I love and admire about Jeremy Engel is that Jeremy doesn't give a rip what anybody thinks about his dancing. It doesn't matter. The brother, the brother is going to let her rip, Tater Chip. Every song, every genre, all day long, Jeremy dances his little heart out. And whenever this dude first started dancing, I'm like, oh, my goodness, paramedic, he's having a seizure. Y'all come. But little did he know, they're just the way he dances, right? I just didn't know. Now, check this out, everybody. At first, when Jeremy started dancing, the brother was just getting it all by himself and didn't care. Everybody, I saw with my own eyes, everybody was pointing and laughing. The kids were pointing and laughing. The faculty and staff were pointing and laughing. I was pointing and laughing. I'm like, what is going on? Take off that New Beginnings Fellowship shirt off. You first Baptist or something like that. Uh-uh. Maybe dancing like that. And then... This is something beautiful happened. He was dancing one song. He was the only brother dancing. Next song came on. A couple of kids joined him. Next song, a couple of kids, a couple of kids. And then you, you turn around, you look. Y'all, it is a dance, full-out dance party. All of the kids are dancing. And not only all of the kids are dancing surrounding Jeremy, but they even had like the executive faculty and staff. We were dancing with the principal and the vice principal, the custodians, the bus drivers. Everybody is getting it with Jeremy. And I'm like, Lord, have mercy. What influence does this guy have? What is going on? What is in this lemonade that we're drinking? I mean, everybody is just dancing like crazy. Now, y'all hear this. It all began, that influence, it all began with Jeremy not caring about what anybody else thought. Jeremy was completely unbothered by the thoughts of anybody. Now, that is what it looks like of being secure in who you are. And if you know Jeremy Engel, it goes well beyond that. It's not just being secure in who you are. It's being secure in whose you are. You have a wonderful, wonderful youth pastor. Wonderful youth pastor. Why, why am I saying this, everybody? The early saints in Corinth, they were struggling with disunity because they were creating factions. They were creating subgroups within the body, uh, the body of Christ, and it was a causing a great deal of separation within that body. And they created these subgroups by ranking pastors. They were ranking Paul, ranking Apollos, or whatever esteemed or disgraced pastor that they heard. And if one group praised the pastor that wasn't in their faction, then they badmouthed the other pastor, Paul being one of those pastors that they badmouthed or they gave all glory to. So addressing that issue in 1 Corinthians uh, um, uh, chapter 4, verse 3, Paul said, but with me, but with me, y'all hear this, it is a very small thing that I should be judged. Now, 
Uh, judged here means interrogated. It means, uh, oh, sorry, investigated. It means scrutinized, criticized. He said, but with me, it is a very small, minute thing that I should be, uh, that I should be investigated or scrutinized by you. And then he says, or by any human court. He said, it doesn't matter what institution, it doesn't matter what group, no matter who these people are. It could be a group of city officials, it could be a group of soldiers, it could be the president of the world. It doesn't matter if it's by a human court, whoever you are, I really don't give a lick what you got to say about me. I don't care. I don't care that you're criticizing me. And, and he said, it is a very small thing. Not only that, he doubles down and he says, in fact, I don't even judge myself. So Paul was saying, like, not only do I not care what you say about me in my negative moments, in my darkest moments, it doesn't even matter what I say about myself. Now think about this. How many times have we convinced ourselves we are less than for whatever reason? We experience something, we do something, and in our minds, we're like, I am not worthy, I am not smart enough, I am not strong enough, I don't have what it takes to get over this mountain, whatever it may be, and we convince ourselves. And it doesn't matter, sometimes, how many people tell us otherwise, we can't hear it, we can't get over that hump because we don't believe it, in our, we don't believe it ourselves. Paul was like, it doesn't even matter what I'm saying. The opinion of people does not determine who I am. Only my creator has that type of influence over my life. Woo! How, how much do you value your creator? How much do you value what your creator says about you and about everybody else? If he's like, it doesn't matter what anybody else says. Like, how big is God in your head? Y'all, these people were bad-mouthing Paul. Bad, bad. No matter. Think about this, y'all. There's a movie that came out in 2017. It's based off a best-selling novel. The movie is called Wonder, right? And so in this movie, this movie is about a young boy whose name is Augie. Augie was born with a genetic condition that caused a bunch of facial deformities, right? And he had surgery after surgery after surgery, and because of that, you know, his face, it just, it just didn't look like a normal face. He, you know, he, he had a bunch of scar tissue, all of that stuff, right? And because of Augie's health problems, his parents homeschooled him, but they're like, yo, buddy, do you want to go to public school? Augie's like, yeah, I would love to go to public school. They're like, all right. So they enrolled Augie in his first year in public school, and he's never been around all of these people in his entire life. And so he gets there, and then the kids were doing, unfortunately, what kids do, and they made fun of him. Nobody has ever called Augie ugly in his entire life. He heard it one time, and guess what he did? He believed it. And he believed it so much, he's crying on the bed. You know, he's talking to his mom. He's like, Mom, I don't want to go to school anymore. And the mom is like, Augie, you know, and the kid goes, I'm ugly, I'm ugly. And his mom is like, what are you doing, Augie? You're not ugly. Stop saying that. And then Augie says, you're just saying that because you're my mom. And he's just bawling and without skipping a beat. His mom looks directly in his face, and she says, which I probably think one of the greatest movie quotes of all times, Augie, I mean, his mom looks at Augie and says, because I am your mom, what I say matters the most because I know you the most. 
church, what does God say about you? What does man say about you? That's negative. That's contradictory to God's word. Who's your daddy in that situation? Who has, that, who has more influence over your life? Who do you value the words more? You see what happens whenever we allow the words of man to knock us off track? You see what happens? Uh, y'all hear this. When we hold the opinions of man in our highest regards, number one, what do you think happens to the word of God that comes in and contradicts those man's opinions? What happens? Let me say that again. What happens whenever you hold man's words in high regard, the highest of regards, and then God's word comes in and contradicts that, speaks against that? What do you think happens? Whenever you hold man's words in the highest regards, you dismiss the very words of God. So that means when God says that you're redeemed, when God says you're forgiven, when God says you're chosen, when God says we are holy, we are protected, we are justified, we are sons and daughters, we are co-heirs, we are loved. But when man says otherwise, and man's words are in the highest of regards, we believe in the otherwise. Let me tell y'all, There is no power in the otherwise. There is no freedom in the otherwise. There is no anointing in the otherwise. There is no redemption in the otherwise. There is no love in the otherwise. The otherwise is foolishness. There is no wisdom in the otherwise. That's why it's called the otherwise. There is no wisdom in the otherwise. I say all that to say this. Put your trust in he who is infinitely wise, not in the other wise. What's your other? What's your other other than God? Let me say that again. Rhetorical question. Who is your other? What is your other in the other wise? Whenever I hear people battle insecurities... Like me, that means I am not secure in who God is calling me to be, which means that the volume and what other opinions think of me, even in myself, is a whole lot higher than what God says about me. I could argue to say it is idol worship. Hear me. Hear me. I could argue to say that insecurity It's a way, it's a form of idol worship. Why? You're not secure in who you are. Maybe because you don't know God's word, or maybe you've heard God's word and you dismissed it because you hold such a high value of man's standards. And whenever you're not lifting up to man's standards, when I say man's standards, I'm eating your own standards as well. And when God says that you're fearfully and wonderfully made, but you believe that you're too ugly, too overweight, too poor, you're not intelligent enough, you're not strong enough, you're not the right gender, whatever it is, you're insecure of who God has called you to be, who God is calling you up to be, and you see your deficiencies, and you're like, I am not. You're focusing more on them than God. I believe it's idol worship. Men and women, hear this. 
Hear this. Put your trust in he who is wise, not in the other wise. The reason why Paul made such a huge impact despite persecution, the reason why he was cool with going to prison and then back to prison and then back to prison and then back to prison, the reason why Paul was okay with getting whipped and getting whipped and getting beat and getting shipwrecked and getting flogged, the reason why he kept coming back for more and more and more because he wasn't worried about everybody else. God, this is who I am. This is who you calling to be. And then that gummit that I'm going to do what you have called me to do. And the strength. And I know every person in here, you want that type of strength. Don't get me wrong. You might not want that type of punishment. But every last one of y'all, you want that type of strength. How did Paul get that strength? He was so intimate with God. And he listened whenever God said he's X, Y, Z. And he believed it. And that peacock strutted throughout the entire world. Strut, everybody. You got the stuff, strut. Amen? Y'all good? You know what? I'm not going to judge outward celebration off of inward transformation. I'm not going to do that. If anybody's going to get excited, it's me. I'm an expressive guy. Y'all know that by now. And everything I do, I'm expressive. Don't just hear this. And it's like, oh, I'm just hearing this on a Sunday. Adopt it. Realize who the heck you are. And whether you do a backflip because you're so excited or inwardly just like, mm, thank you, Jesus. Whatever, however you take it, take it. You're amazing. <laughs> and you're fearfully and wonderfully made by God. I guarantee you, especially you Chiefs fans, if Taylor Swift tweeted you, you're awesome. Y'all like, oh my gosh, Taylor Swift tweeted, oh my gosh. You will go nuts or any other celebrity or whoever it is. You will get so excited about that, right? Don't tell me you won't because you would. You would. You'd do it, right? And then there's a love letter. The guy goes, I died for you. And we're like, mm-hmm, that's cool. How precious are you that somebody died for you? Died for you. Died. If somebody said, hey, Richard, you got to get hit in the face with Ran- for Randolph, you know what my first question was going to be? Well, what do you do? <laughs> Ah, uh, no, nah, you're going to have to hit him, not me. Sorry, Randolph. <laughs> Let alone die for him. I'm just joking. I love you. I love you, Randolph. I pray that I would never be in that position. But if I was, I pray that God would give me the courage to die for you. Right now, you know Jesus, you will see him, okay? <laughs> All right, so let's move forward. Moving forward or backward. In verse 1 and 2, Paul refers to himself as a steward. He says in verse 2, moreover, it is required of stewards that they may be found faithful. Now, let's break that down, y'all. A steward is somebody that's little. He's a mouse. Okay, I'm sorry. That was bad. I tried it out. Failed. Okay, so check this out. So a steward, (laughs) a steward's responsibility 
is to protect and to expand the property of the owner. Let me say that again. A steward's responsibility is to protect and to expand the property of an owner. In 1 Corinthians, let's break it down. In 1 Corinthians 1, uh, uh, no, I'm sorry, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 26, Paul says, for the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. In other words, uh, Paul was saying that the earth and everything in it, including people, are all his. God is the owner of everything. God is the owner of everything. Man, you and I own nothing. So what does that make us? Think about this. If God owns everything, and God has given us dominion to rule over the land, dominion given by him, and we're not the owners, then we're property managers. Think about this. Again, if we're not the owners, but God has given us the authority, the power, the influence, the intellect, the wisdom, the whatever, to take care of everything, then that means he is entrusting us to manage the property. We're property managers. The owner has entrusted us to take care of the well-being of his property. In the Old Testament, Joseph was a steward of Potiphar's household. Joseph didn't own anything in that house, but he oversaw everything that was entrusted to him. Does that make sense, everybody? Hear this. So Paul is communicating to the Corinthian church who is either holding him in high regards or as nothing. He's like, what are you doing? I'm not in charge. Matter of fact, let me pause right here. There's so much freedom in not being in charge. A lot of the times, a lot of people, they're like, oh my gosh, I want to be the pastor. It ain't glamorous, y'all. It ain't. Ask the elders. <laughs> it ain't glamorous being in charge. It's necessary, and we do it because it's our calling, but not glamorous whatsoever. Stinks being in charge. When I go to people's house, and it's their house, I'm like, oh, cool, I can relax. Oh, make yourself at home. You ain't got to tell me that. I'm going to do it anyway. My toes are going to go in the air. I'm going to dirty up all your dishes. I might not even flush the toilet. I am just going to just hang out in there. It don't matter. It ain't my house. It's your burden. Deal with it. Right? Why am I saying this, everybody? Paul was like, I'm not in charge. I'm only created. We're only created saints to protect and to expand of the one, of the property of the one who is in charge and God is the one in charge. He's so he's saying all that to say this. He was like, yo, so if that's the case, if God is in charge and I am only a property manager, then why on earth would I give a rip about what you say? You're not the owners. You can't determine what salvation looks like. God has already determined that. You can't sanctify me. Only God can sanctify me. God is the one in charge. And so he's trying to get everybody to stop looking at the importance of man and all about the importance of God and let the importance of God, you're being impressed with God. 
You are being, you know, having that reverence for God, having your love for God. Let that grow. Then you have, then you have a growing love and respect for man. Does it make sense? They were getting it backwards. They were following man. And then let the love for man or their influence for man would determine their influence from God. But he's like, it's backwards. Follow God and let God's love, God's wisdom, God's understanding, God's everything will pour out into man. Everybody, hear me. This is big. Mouthful. Y'all listen to me. When we attempt to elevate man's opinion over God's view, God's ownership and man's property management is going in two opposite directions. So again, whenever we elevate man's opinion, when we're saying that man is number one, but God is like, nah, fam, I'm number one, ownership and management are going in two opposite directions. And tell me, what organization is efficient when the owner and the management goes in opposite directions? None. It's whack. That will fail. Bub and Marie, they have graciously allowed me to borrow their truck until I get my own. I was in a wreck. Truck was totaled. We're going back and forth with the bank and the money, blah, 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 all the truck. Finding something, right? Without their permission, I can't go and put Lamborghini doors on their mid-2000s GMC Canyon. I can't do that whatsoever. Why? Because it ain't my dead gum truck. It's not mine. It's theirs. I am not the owners. They are the owners, everybody. And they expect me to take care of their property. And if I'm, y'all hear this, if I am not faithful with their truck, then why on earth would they let me be responsible for anything else that they own? A lot of y'all, you want God to increase your influence. You want that. You want that hard but you don't have the heart. What does that mean that you don't have the heart? It means that the little bit that God has given you, you want to make it your own, right? You're not focusing on God. He's like, no, no, no. The gift that, the life that you've given me, God, I want to do it this way. And God's like, no, no, no. I want you to do this way. Management and ownership are going in two different directions. And you're praying that God will increase your influence, that it increase your territory, that increase your resources, but nothing's happening. Why? Because why would God give you his brand new truck when you ain't even driving his used one right? Does that make sense? A lot of y'all, you're praying for more money, but you won't give the little money that you have. Why do you think it's all connected? Why do you think that God is like, yo, I will increase your resources when you give? Why? Because whenever you give, you're giving, not to make anybody rich, you're giving to advance his gospel. And God goes, I want you to keep doing that more and more and more. So what does he do? He gives you more so you can give more. Every single sense that God has given the Marx family, we've increased our giving. We started in 10, now we're in 18. Next year, I want to give 19. And then next year, 20, and so on and so forth. I pray that one day that we can give 90% of our tithe. Why? Because I'm like, God, I want you to increase our influence. And our influence has nothing to do with resources and everything to do with him and people knowing Jesus and knowing more of Jesus. Does that make sense? 
I pray that New Beginnings Fellowship will increase in influence. How do you think that comes about? I'm like, all right, God, give us opportunities to serve. Then elevate Branson calls. And then Gam calls. Then Loaves and Fishes call. Right? Like these ministries are happening because of reason. Man. Um, I say all that to say this, everybody. Gladly embrace your identity of being a steward. Gladly. Gladly. I'm just, a, I'm just a property manager. I'm just here to make sure this property looks good and to expand it. If that is your number one, everything else will be all right from there. Amen? Moving forward, going to the last point here, y'all. Paul opens this chapter by writing, this is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Y'all hear this. This is huge. In chapter 3, verse 5, we talked about it last week. Paul says, what then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. Last week, we highlighted the Greek word for servants. The Greek word for servant was the word diakonos. Diakonos means a waiter, which means that all Christians are servants. We're waiters. What does it mean to be a waiter? We are called to get the order from God, deliver it to the people. I don't need no glory. Bon appetit. Eat up. God, what else you have me for him? Well, I want you to give my love to him. Okay, I'm going to give you my love. I want you to give your resources to him. All right, I'm going to give you my resources. I want you to give your service to him, and so on and so forth. We're just raiders going back and forth of getting the goodness from God and delivering it to man. That's where we are. That's what he says. The accountants, we're servants. Check this out. In chapter 4, he says that we're servants. He said, regard me as a servant. He doesn't use the Greek word diakonos right here. He uses a completely different word. This is why that is, it is important. Yeah, if, get, it, get your phones out and download the Blue Letter Bible, B-L-B, Blue Letter Bible. The Blue Letter Bible, it breaks it all down in the Old Testament. Uh, you got the English and you got the Hebrew. And in the New Testament, you got the Greek and you got the Hebrew. Now, yeah, download that daggum app. It is so important. Why? Because you can know the customs, you can know the words, and you can get a better context of the Word of God. I didn't do this because I'm such an amazing scholar. I just picked up my daggum phone. Instead of looking on Facebook, I was looking at Greek words. You can do it too. Amen? So check this out. The Greek word that he uses, not diakonos here for servants, he used the word, the, the word huperetes. Huperetes, right? Huperetes means an underrower or a subordinate rower. As I'm looking at this, and I'm looking, I'm like, oh, they're servants again. Diakonos? No, huperetes. Look up, and I'm like, the heck is an underrower? What is a subordinate rower? And man, I started doing some studying. Boo! Let me tell you. So check this out, y'all. The rower huperetes originally referred to a rower on board of a war galley. And then when I saw that, I'm like, what the heck is a war galley? So I started looking it up. That's a war galley. A warship. A Back in the days, they didn't have motors. That is what a naval battleship looked like. Now, check this out. Y'all see those long oars right there? How do those oars go? There were no motors back there. Check this out, everybody. What you had, you had about like three, four hundred men in these ships, right? Some people, they say anywhere between 200 and 400 men. And what they would do, they were all lined up. You got like four or five men uh, that's manning one oar. They got these handles and they're all, 
ruin. They stood up, they put their whole body into it. Here we go. They just rode the ship. And they were rowed to ship the ship in the direction of where their captain is telling them to go. And they were rammed into the ship, destroying the ship. All right? Their whole duty was to row. That's it. And Paul is like, consider me a rower. Hear this, everybody. There's four cool things about a rower. Four cool things. One, the rower had to row to the captain's beat. This is what would happen. The captain would be there, he would have a drum, and he would be like, then they would row. 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 They had to have rhythm. So Jeremy couldn't have been a rower back then, right? They had to have rhythm to keep on rowing everybody, okay? Then, so not only did they uh, had to row to the captain's beat, they all had to row together. They had to be, you know, together. They had to be synchronized. Have you ever tried to canoe with somebody uh, and they were all just doing something different and your boat was going all crazy and you were just going in circles or you're going backwards when you're trying to go forward? I have. And that person was my wife. Can't row with Heidi, okay? Two, three. They had to trust their captain. An under think about it. It's called an under rower, not an over rower. An under rower. They were, you know, they were like they were below. They couldn't see the direction where they were going. So they had to trust the direction the captain was telling them to go. Left side, stop. Right side, go, so they can turn the ship. Right side, chill out a little bit more. Left side, go harder. They had to do that. They had to trust in their captain. And then four, they had to be completely fine of receiving no honor. They didn't have antiperspirant deodorant back then. So can you imagine two, three, four hundred guys rowing all day? Can you imagine how musty that is? I... I have a house of all girls. It smells delightful in the Mark's house. Some of y'all got boys, and I've been to your house, and it smells like a foot. No matter where you go, in the kitchen smells like feet. The bathroom smells like feet. Your driveway smells like feet. Everything smells like feet. Men stink. Imagine 400 of them. You go to the Strongers Men's Conference. You couldn't handle it. You can't handle it, right? Now, they received no honor. That went to the soldier. That went to the captain. Those went to the officials. They didn't care less about the rower. No glory. And Paul, out of all professions, a man that made two-thirds of the Old Testament, I mean, New Testament, made, that wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, the man who literally had an encounter with Jesus, can you imagine he's going back and forth with these people, you know, and he has the card. They're like, no, forget you. We follow Apollos. Fool, you didn't even see Jesus. I did. I established the church, you idiot. Like, he didn't say none of that. He's just like, oh, stop creating these groups. Oh, but Paul, you're awesome. I'm a servant. I'm a rower. Paul said, don't call me a king, don't call me a lawyer, don't call me a city official, don't call me an actor, an athlete, a gladiator, nothing but an underroar. What Paul was saying was this, y'all listen up. Paul was like, I'm just a brother that is listening to the cadence of my captain's beat. I am just a brother that's trying to get everybody on the same page so we can work together. 
I am just a brother that is trusting the direction my captain is telling me to go. And I am just a brother that is completely fine with receiving absolutely no honor. Why? Because God gives all the honor. What does it have to be? What does it have to do with you, everybody? You're here, you're a Christian. You're going to have to be okay with being an under rower. It's not glamorous. And we receive no glory. And day in and day out, we just toil. We just row. That's it. Whenever you had a tough day of serving God, you wake up, you know what it's time? To do it again. And do it again. And do it again. And go. And go. And go. And when God says, forgive, you forgive. God says, serve. You serve. When God says teach, you teach. And when God says time for self-discipline, it's self-discipline. And you're rowing and rowing and rowing. And then you're rowing. Hear this, y'all. You're rowing God's ship in the direction where he wants to go. And remember that it's a warship. And God has equipped you with the armor of God. So with the armor of God, you're just rowing and rowing and rowing. And then eventually... Even, even, even babes will cry out, I know, right? Uh, eventually, everybody, we just row, and it's time for us to give up our post. And we've reached our destination. And Jesus will look at you and say, well done, good and faithful servant. And we will be with him forever. Forever. In eternity with God, is worth a lifetime of rowing for. It's worth 10 lifetimes of rowing for. It's worth 100 lifetimes of rowing for. But all we get is one. That's it. Serve God. Give him the glory. Be tethered to him, which he tethers each other to each other. Everybody, my last point is to row God's boat. That's it. Following Jesus isn't glamorous, but it's necessary. And can you imagine the damage we would do? The boats that we would destroy, the enemy boats that we would destroy if we just collectively got together. I say this and I'll be quiet, everybody. Think about this. Imagine a huge war galley, and you have 40 people rowing at the same time. 40 people, strong guys. Now imagine if you have 400 people, a little smaller than New Beginnings Fellowship, all rowing in the same direction, all listening to the captain's drum, all trusting where we want to go, all being okay with not getting the glory. Imagine if you have 400. Imagine if you have 4,000. How fast would that boat, how powerful would that boat be? Imagine if you had four million. Y'all, just think about what would it look like if all the saints got all on the same page? There is not a boat in hell that's strong enough to destroy a single That church is how powerful we are 
whenever we stop worrying about each other's opinions, all being synchronized by God, getting all of the direction, all of the power, and giving him all of the glory. Imagine what worship would look like if we gave him all the glory and not to ourselves. Church, Ross, I say all that to say this, everybody. Row God's boat, give God the glory, and watch God increase whatever influence he wants us to increase and watch the light being shown in darkness. Father, thank you so much for calling us to be your rowers. Father, let's row your boat. And I know it doesn't sound glamorous, Father, but your word tells us, God, the brother in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position, Father. Even though being a follower of you, a servant for you, seems like a lowly position, God, you, who is above all, will exalt us, God. Thank you for loving us. Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said, y'all, I appreciate you. Love y'all. Thanks for joining us today. If you'd like to learn more about New Beginnings Fellowship, connect with us, or give, visit nbfhollister.org. Have a great week, and remember, we are the church who radically loves, serves, and encourages.